Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Ewan. And this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So today we have Tim Hast with us. Tim is an executive coach, corporate trainer, and facilitator specializing in leadership development, team building, and people skills. Tim provides surveys and training in understanding and working with different personality styles as an authorized everything disc partner, an authorized partner with Wiley's Five Behaviors and a cohesive team. Additionally, Tim is a licensed therapist, the owner of a business coaching group, Encore Life Skills, and author of the book, Powerful Listening, Powerful Influence. Tim currently resides in Edmond, Oklahoma with his wife, Ruthie. Tim, thanks for being here today. Lindsay, it's my pleasure. Now, Tim, Justin, my co-host, unfortunately is sick today, but really wanted to meet you. But I'm excited to get to interview you because we've known each other for, I think, a little over a year, working together a little bit. And I have had the opportunity to attend a workshop that you facilitated specific to the DISC assessment. Mm -hmm. And I found it really fascinating. And so that's what I want to highlight. But before we get into the DISC assessment, I do want to ask you a little bit about your background, because I think we've spoken before about how you started as a licensed therapist and then moved into the business world. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? My first career was in counseling. I have a master's degree in community counseling. It's a psychology degree, but I've always been fascinated with people. What makes them tick? And in the, along the way, I found that about a third of my clients were people that were depressed, a third were people that were trying to process some kind of trauma, and a third of my clients were people that just didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I loved all my clients, but as I got farther along in my career, I just discovered that I really had a passion for helping people that were trying to figure out how to be more effective or change careers, but be more effective in the career that they have and help them understand people. I found that that really was drawing me. I found interest in that. I began to move in that direction even before I knew it was called coaching. I just knew what I was enjoying. And so I began to move in that direction. And someone said, well, what you're doing is you're coaching. And so I began to read and study and get training in that specific profession. Right now I do coaching and consulting and corporate training, what we call soft skills. I think they're the essential skills myself, but those people skills. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about once you made that transition, then you said you started studying and researching and you must have come across the DISC assessment. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of personality and work style assessments out there. What drew you to DISC? Well, with my training in psychology, I had to take about 10 to 12 hours of research and statistics. And so I knew the difference between good science and bad science. And I began to look for a profile that I felt like was workable for me, but also had the internal and external validity that actually measured what it said it would measure. And there's about 20 different disc profiles in the marketplace. And I found the one that was created by the publishing company, Wiley & Sons. It's everything disc. Mm. I found that it was very accurate and it was not based on smoke and mirrors. Not that others are, but I wanted to make sure that if I told my clients, this is measuring this aspect of your personality, that the assessment was accurate. And I felt like they had the best science and the visual, the circle with the dot in it was really helpful for me. So that's what I went with. I like the visual aspect. I'm a very visual person. And being able to look at a circle and see where my dot is and see the people on the opposite side of the circle, which will probably be the people that are my biggest challenge in communicating with, being able to see that was really important. So we went with the Wiley Everything Disc. And so if there's 
someone listening today that hasn't participated in taking disc assessment, I think it's very well known in the business world. Almost everybody I know has heard of it, but can you say more about what it is? What is it measuring? Talk about the circle and where your dot lands. Well, every assessment is really mining for the same information. And if you broke it down into two questions, assessments are asking, are you really task-oriented or are you more people-oriented? And the other axis is, are you more direct or more indirect? And we're plotting people on those two axes. You might call it extroversion and introversion, more sensing, more intuitive, more feeling. But regardless of what you call it, most assessments are really trying to get at the same thing. And so the DISC profile is measuring, are you direct and task-oriented? Or are you direct and people-oriented? Or are you more indirect? Are you more introverted and people-oriented, which is the nurturers, or are you more introverted and task-oriented, which is more the analytical people, the people that build the bridges that you drive on and do the accounting work and work on IT programs, that the people that are really more focused on analysis of task and doing task, steady task. So it really breaks it down into four different quadrants, and each of the quadrant has little slices of the pie, so you might be very direct, but a little more people-oriented than some you might be more people-oriented and a little more nurturing than some. So the DISC is trying to figure out your way of approaching people, your way of communicating, and also what motivates you and what stresses you. You know, if I know those things about myself, then when I'm in certain situations that I feel uncomfortable, if someone has, gives me a mic and says, would you get up in front of people? If I feel uncomfortable doing that, there's a reason why. And certain personalities have more of an affinity for working long periods of time alone and analyzing things. And others, like me, my profile is an I. I'm very direct and people-oriented. If I'm alone too long, I begin to get a little stir-crazy. So it helps me understand myself, and it helps me understand that not everybody is like me. And so probably the most valuable thing about any personality assessment, it helps me see who I am. It helps me look in the mirror and see how I come across to other people. And it helps me see the people that are the opposite of me, the people that I'm most likely prone to get on their nerves. Because as an I, I'm very extroverted, I'm very people-oriented, I'm fast-paced. And if I'm working with an engineer, if I don't slow myself down and give lots of details in the conversation, I will probably be making that person a little anxious. So it helps me know me, but it also helps me understand the people that I'm working with. And DISC stands for Dominant the, Influence Steadiness and conscientiousness. conscientiousness. Okay. So I have two questions, but I feel like they're going to be very interrelated. So okay. I want to understand what some of those conflicts are between people who are a D versus an S versus an I versus C. I'm also wondering about the second assessment that you are authorized in, which is the Wiley's Five Behaviors of Cohesive, a cohesive team. Yeah. Team? Are they related? They are. So... If you picture the circle and the D is in over on the clock between 9 o'clock and noon, so 9, 10, 11, and 12, and that area over there, they're very direct, they're very task-oriented, they're fast-paced, and they're opposite, which would be between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the late afternoon, that part of the clock. That's the S's. Those are opposites. And the S style is very nurturing. No one's left behind. When they have to make a decision, instead of making a fast decision, they take their time because they're thinking, how will this decision affect everyone on my team? So they're not dragging their feet, but they're very conscious of how a decision affects other people. 
Well, you get those two people in the room and the D's going, all right, already, we've made the decision. Let's move forward and get this thing done. And the S is going, but wait, we've got to find out how this is going to affect Sarah and Chad and Jeffrey and Jose. So one is moving ahead. And the other one was saying, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on. You've got this natural conflict, which is good because on a team, if you have a D style and an S style, they're anchoring each other. So that diversity really makes for a better team. Well, I'm an I, and I'm up on the 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock up in the early afternoon. And my opposite is a C, which is from 6 o'clock at night till 9 o'clock, that bottom part of the clock. And my style as an I, I'm very fast paced. I love people. I love working with people. And the C's are very analytical. They like to work alone. They like to take a project and analyze it. And whereas I might give a summary of the project in one sentence, they're going to give me three pages. And so the conflict comes in that I'm enthusiastic and moving ahead. And they're going, wait a minute, Tim, don't forget the details. Let's make sure we get everything. Let's make sure we've answered every question before we start the car. Where as I'm building the airplane as we're taking off, and they're saying, you got to get the airplane built. And you got to take it out for test rides and make sure that airplane flies. And my nature as an I is, we'll build the airplane as it's taxiing down the runway and getting ready to take off and fly. And those different styles, there's not a bad style. If I'm putting together a team, I want some of every one of those styles on my team. But I'm going to be having them do things that energize them. For instance, for me, energizing is being with people, working with people. That D style is getting things done. That S style is nurturing people and taking care of the team. That C is really going into the details and making sure that everything is accurate. Right. And so is the Wiley's cohesive team, is that the solution to taking these different styles and getting them to work together effectively? It's part of that. Patrick Lencioni wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team probably 20 years ago, and it's been probably the HR bestseller for a long time. And Wiley and, and Lencioni made a partnership where they took the five behaviors of a dysfunctional team and they turned it into the five behaviors of a cohesive team. So if a dysfunctional mm-hmm. team, there is not trust, then in a cohesive team, there is trust. In a dysfunctional team where they don't get along and they avoid conflict, a cohesive team deals with conflict in a healthy way. So the five behaviors of a cohesive team is a program where we lead a team through building trust, being comfortable with conflict, being accountable, being committed, and attention to results. And Wiley has embedded a DISC profile within that. There's an assessment that your team can take where they self-assess. And part of that assessment, there's a DISC embedded in that. So when you generate the results for that specific closed team, it'll tell them, you all on this closed team, you assessed yourselves at this level of trust. You assessed yourselves at this level of conflict how you manage conflict, and so on and so forth. And it also says of the team of eight people, there are three D styles, three I styles, two S styles, and one C style. So it gives that team a picture of, remember this is self-assessed, but that team assesses where they are in cohesion, and it gives them this bird's eye view of the different styles on that team. It gives them tools to begin to have conversations about how we're going to develop trust with each other. What can we do to deepen that level of trust and trust to the point where if I screw up, I'm able to say to you, Lindsay, you know, we're working on this project and I dropped the ball here. Because if we don't have that level of trust, if I make a mistake, my tendency is going to be to hide that mistake, cover it up. And covered up mistakes usually turn into bigger problems down the road. 
So the five mm -hmm. behaviors of a cohesive team, really, it's like a strategic planning session for emotional intelligence. It's like a strategic mm -hmm. planning session for a, how a team will work together so that they get work done and spend a whole lot less time in unnecessary conflict or in spats or in conflicts over who's going to do what. You know, there's two examples that come to mind where I feel like it would be most difficult to thrive an environment when you have a different work style. And one is if you are on a small team, let's say five or six people, and mm -hmm. you're the only I and everybody mm -hmm. else is whichever one. Worse if it's the opposite, right? The exact mm -hmm. opposite mm -hmm. of you. <laughs> but if they're just all the same, like I'm thinking about the D, which is what mm -hmm. I am, very task-oriented and direct. If everybody's on board to be task-oriented and direct, and you're somebody who wants to not leave anyone behind, I would imagine that it's hard for the entire team to shift for one person. So then that one person is more stressed. How do you address that if you're the manager in that example? So that's where I do consulting. I do an intervention. And I might sit down and spend an hour with that team and help them understand the S style is not bad, but this is how the S style will help you. If you want to know what's going on in your organization and who's hurting and who's excited, I tell the D style, make friends with an S in your organization because they know what direction the wind is blowing. They read between the lines and you might feel impatient with them right now, but if you know what they do and what they do well, they will be your best asset. The scenario you gave is one that I see often where you'll have four or five of one style and they're acting like the other person, like, you know, that person's just dragging their feet or they're just so wishy-washy or they just take so long to do that. So I will sit down with them and I will help them understand the motivators and stressors of that style that is the minority in their team. And I will help them brainstorm ways that they can include that person and get value out of them being at a seat at the table. The S's are the ones that never let the boss forget birthdays, never let the boss forget when someone is hurting or when someone needs a thank you note or when someone needs encouragement. The S can be your very best friend. Or if you have a room full mm -hmm. of S's and you have one D and the S's are going, that D style is way too pushy. You know, I can help them see that really keeps you old from getting stuck high center and being paralyzed by analysis paralysis, that we can't take a step forward until we get all the ducks in a row, when sometimes you never have right. the opportunity to get everything lined up before you have to start moving forward. Right. So for listeners who are people managers, I would imagine that, like you said, the S is never going to forget anybody's birthday. So if I have a task like there's a committee that recognizes and tracks anniversaries, team happy hours, work anniversaries, birthdays, baby showers, those types of things, celebrations in the office, I would give it to the S because it's Absolutely. something that they enjoy doing. So you can match tasks to people's preferences. But if I'm a people manager, would I also want to consider this when I have like a new position open? Am I mm -hmm. looking at that and going, which type of style, what type of personality is best to hire for this position? Like so that we don't get to the place where we realize we have One way word. different styles and that's the issue. Absolutely. If you have a job that requires a lot of interaction with people, you probably don't want to put a C-style in because that C-style might be able to do the job, but they will get worn down. I spoke to someone this morning, and this guy's a real high eye. He's in the ministry. And I said, what was your undergraduate degree? We were meeting on Zoom, and he smiled, and he said, I'm a CPA. He said, and I hate it. But somewhere in his story, you know, you went to school and you studied accounting because you'd make a lot of money. 
And he did that, and he realized, that is not me. I would rather have a jab in the eye with a sharp stick than be an accountant. And I can't tell you how many times I've met people who went for the job because maybe a parent pressured them or maybe something in their story said, okay, really successful people are engineers. They had the intelligence to accomplish the degree and sit for the license, but they didn't have the heart. With the dis- I would be asking myself, what profile would best fit in this particular position? If you start to learn about DISC after you've got a C in a role that should be an I, for example, I mean, how does a people manager approach that? Very cautiously. <laughs> I think it's you're coaching, you're using your coaching tools and saying, are you happy here? Because most people that get in a position that's not suited for their personality style, they will persist for a while. But most people begin to realize, I'm really not happy here. And when the unhappiness grows to the point where they're restless, it's an opportunity for someone in leadership to come alongside them and say, you know, you do this well, but you don't seem happy in it. And just asking those questions, what do you think? Do you think that you would be more happy? And begin to not push them, but encourage them to explore some venue that would be more aligned with their particular style. Right. And so the book that you wrote, Powerful Listening, Powerful Influence. Did that come after making the transition over to the business world? Yes. What I found when I began to do executive coaching, I had a couple of companies that would contract with me and they would send people for executive coaching. And this would be the scenario. The executive or the leader would take a 360 and their team would say, we love our boss except for one thing, he or she doesn't listen. And that would happen so often. My background as a counselor, that's the number one tool you use is listening. And I thought, I've got to figure out a way to give someone some tips on how to listen that are easy to remember. Because those moments where we get ambushed by a meeting or something that was unexpected, and we need to really be listening, and we end up jumping over into fix-it mode where we're trying to solve the problem. When before we solve the problem, the person needs to be heard. We need to allow them to weigh in. Weigh in gets buy-in. So I came up with four things that I tell my people that I was coaching. If you'll practice these four things together, then you will improve your listening skills. And so I'll give them to you right now without even buying the book. It's listen patiently. That's make your listening other-centered. Listen with your body. That means let your body language show I'm open to what you have to say and you're safe with me. And the third thing is listen with your voice. So When a person comes into you and they say, I'm really, really frustrated, you don't have to go, I think I'm hearing you say that you're frustrated. You say, you're frustrated. That really ticked you off. You're really upset. We're reading between the lines and replaying the emotion that we hear. And then the final step in powerful listening is listen with your mind. Everything that we hear, we visualize. It's part of what our brain does. And so I tell people to take that natural occurrence, that natural thing that happens, we're seeing pictures and turbocharge those pictures. See vivid pictures of what the person is telling you. If they're talking about their kid, see a vivid picture of their kid on a playground or playing somewhere. Visualize what the person is telling you. So I tell the executives, anytime you have a meeting, before the meeting, rehearse in your mind, I'm going to listen patiently. I'm not going to interrupt. I'm not going to commandeer the conversation and take it in a different direction. I listen patiently, listen with my body, listen with my voice and listen with my mind. And here's my ironclad guarantee. When people begin to practice effective listening, it makes them a better leader, and it makes them a better communicator. Because if I know what it takes to make Lindsay feel heard, then I have a roadmap, a reverse-engineered roadmap 
that tells me how to communicate more effectively. Right. And that's what leads to that influence. Tell me about that effective communication aspect. Well, effective communication is simply bearing in mind that as human beings, we have this defense mechanism that puts us in fight or flight if we feel threatened. And effective communication is taking the picture in my head and converting it to words that are able to get across and get recoded in the other person's brain. But the great enemy is our defense mechanism that takes us into fight or flight if we misunderstand things. So effective communication Mm -hmm. is constantly putting my words in terms that the other person can hear it. So if I, as an I style, am communicating with a C style, I need to take my message and put it in terms that make sense to that style. Give them lots of details. Give them sequential step A, step B. Make sure that I present the information in a logical fashion. If I'm communicating that message to an S style, I want to make sure that I embed that message with this is safe, that this is good for your team, that your team will really feel safe doing this. If I'm communicating that message to a D style, I want to make sure that this is going to let you get in the lead and you'll be able to take this and you'll be able to act on it quickly and it'll be great for you. Communicating effectively is knowing my style, knowing other people's styles, and coding my words, preparing my words in a way that will speak the language of that style. I was raised in Puerto Rico. We moved there when I was 10 years old, and they speak Spanish in Puerto Rico, and I had to very quickly learn Spanish. And as a child, I saw Americans coming to the island who would either really fit in or be there about six weeks and then move back home. The ones that would move back home were the ones that refused to learn the language and the culture. When I am learning other people's personality styles, I'm learning their culture and I'm learning to speak their language. So if I go to France and I insist on speaking English, people in France will probably be kind of annoyed at me. But if I try to speak their language, suddenly these people that I thought were really rude actually are really, really nice and really pleased that I went to the trouble of learning to speak their language, not just their language, but their culture. Yeah. What do you think, what role does culture play in all of this? From my experience, having been raised in another culture, this is my philosophy. Every person in the universe has a culture, and that culture is my birth order, my gender, my religious background, my ethnic background. All those things play into making each person unique. And if I treat people as if everyone has a different culture and it's incumbent upon me, it's my responsibility to learn their culture. There are things that Americans would do when they'd come to Puerto Rico, a gesture, a hand gesture, or something that they said or did that in Puerto Rico was considered very, very rude. And the American didn't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to see how I can alienate people. They just did what they thought was the right thing. They didn't understand the culture. So part of effective communication is understanding that every person that I meet has a unique culture and doing my best to read when I may read, I mean, observe, to pick up on cues and behaviors and figure out, okay, in their culture, this is probably a good thing or this is probably not a good thing. Picking up on that and seeing people as individual cultures, I think, is essential to effective communication. Mm-hmm. And learning these things, their communication style and their disc style and individual culture, that's what you use these principles for. You have to listen and put that effort in before mm-hmm. you can execute by adjusting your communication style to fit your audience. I know I've done it and it's a lot of work up front initially, but one of the most frustrating things to me is when I have a good idea or I want to raise a risk at work and my words aren't landing. 
but I know mm-hmm. that what I am saying is of value. And so when you put in the effort to adjust to say, state your case, that risk or that idea in a way that the person who is listening can receive it, when you learn how to do that, it's one of the most rewarding skills that I've developed. It truly is. And one thing that is a help along the way is if I'm trying to get a point across and I don't feel like the person is getting it, I tell them, I feel like I'm not communicating very well this morning. Would you tell me what you thought you heard me say? That is the best insurance. It tells me where I'm going wrong. If I can get them to tell me what they think they're hearing me say, it lets me know, okay, Here's a golf analogy. I'm not a golfer, but if you're on the putting green, if you hit the ball straight from where you are to the flag in the hole, sometimes it doesn't go that way. Sometimes that ball curves, and sometimes you have to hit the ball kind of about three feet off from the hole, and the ball kind of makes a curve, and it kind of curves around, and it sinks right into the hole. So knowing how I need to aim my words so that I make sure they hit the target, get the ball in the hole, that's probably a terrible analogy. But that's the one that comes to me. Sometimes we're speaking directly and it's missing the hole. And sometimes do a little right. curve shot to make that ball go in the hole. And that's the communication I need to perceive. What is it that I'm saying? Because it's triggering a different picture in that other person's head. I have a picture of what I'm mm-hmm. trying to communicate. But that picture is showing up and it's being a completely different picture in the other person's head. And I need to know that. So asking them, would you tell me what you think you're hearing me say? And I've got to be real careful that it doesn't come across sarcastic. It can come across as a, what do you think you're hearing me say? That's not what I want. I'm wanting it to be in humility. Like I didn't have enough coffee this morning. I'm a little foggy and I'm not sure that I'm saying what I intend to say. So would you tell me what you heard me say? That's a way of taking the blame, taking ownership, but asking the person to give you some feedback. Yeah, that's a great tip. And, you know, to build off your golf analogy, it takes practice. You're not going to hit a hole in one the first time. You have to practice. Unless you're tremendously lucky. (laughs) Yeah. So, Tim, we're getting towards the end of our time here, but I do want to give you an opportunity to share where our listeners can get more information about your coaching or book you for a disc assessment, learn more about your company. Well, it's real easy. Our business is Encore, and that's, you know, when they play a symphony and do a good job, people clap and they say, Encore, Encore, do it again. And we want to do such good work that people call us back again and again. So if you just Google Encore Life Skills, we will pop up. And if you want to be more complicated, just www.EncoreLifeSkills.com. It's all one word. And you can find me and my team, learn more about DISC and learn about our services. So Encore Life Skills, E-N-C-O-R-E, Encore Life Skills. Just Google us or look us up. That's great. Thank you so much for being here. It's my privilege. That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and Access Additional Resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.